with Pastor Curto out of town this week and my being invited to fill the pulpit in his absence, I uh, pondered whether I would return to my series on Proverbs at this point or uh, perhaps take the opportunity, having a, a one-shot opportunity to uh, preach on a topical point, and I've decided on latter. I'd like to share with you today something about the precious promises of God. Me to the 91st Psalm, Psalm 91. When I visited our brother John DeBold this week in the hospital, um, he was in a great deal of pain the day of his surgery on his knee, and I had uh, planned to share with him from Psalm 91, especially the promise about the uh, angels keeping him from dashing his foot against the stone. And um, he was in so much pain, I decided not to read, but only to pray with him, only to find out that um, he had this, it sounded like, pretty much memorized anyway. And I, uh, I would commend that all to you. Uh, this is a great psalm to memorize. Let's read it worshipfully this morning. Hear it as it is, the very word of God. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Jehovah, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pests. He will cover thee with his pinions, and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and a buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. For the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold, and see the reward of the wicked. For thou, O Jehovah, art my refuge, thou hast made the Most High thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. For he will give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him humble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And our New Testament reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning the reading at the 6th verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, at verse 6, hear God's word. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom withstand steadfast in your faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished in your brethren who are in the world. And the God of all grace who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ, after that you have suffered a little while, shall himself perfect, establish, strengthen you. To him be the dominion for endeavor. Amen. And amen.
Everyone needs hope, and everyone needs comfort in this life. I'm bringing before you a platitude, something that you all know so very well. And there are particular times in our lives, it seems, that we're especially in need of hope and comfort, uh, those times when uh, fear and insecurity overcome us. Uh, there are times of loneliness for all of us, times of rejection that are very difficult to deal with, times of disappointment and heartache, times where we undergo pain and suffering, times when we feel very helpless and despairing. I'm not a stranger to any of those feelings, uh, and especially uh, this week is that the case for any number of reasons that probably wouldn't be spiritually edifying to share with you, but um, all of those feelings are something that I've gone through, and I know that you're not strangers to those feelings of fear and rejection and heartache and pain and, and despair either, because during my last preaching series, your comments indicated that to me, that uh, you know, for all of the outward appearances that things are just fine in our lives, we all suffer these things and these moments. And so I want to share with you today, and, and to be honest, share with me, a homily on the precious promises. That's why the sermon is titled as it is, Precious Promises. I want to begin by pointing out that only Christians can um, enjoy hope and comfort at times where we despair or are feeling rejected or insecure or in pain. Only Christianity can provide hope and comfort at such times. In the second chapter of Ephesians, verse 12, we read these interesting words by Paul, speaking of uh, the Gentiles who, before their conversion, um, had uh, no relationship with God, no salvation. He says, you were at that time separate from Christ, having no hope and without God in this world. And uh, there's a lot in that passage. I have not read the entire passage, and there's a lot in what I have read that would be exposition. I just want to focus right now on what Paul says. That those who are not believers, those who are not in relationship with Jesus Christ, have no hope. Their lives cannot be characterized by hopefulness. They have no eternal hope. They have no comfort, finally, in despair and in tough times. I want you to ask, our Christian way of looking at the world and looking at God and our relationship to God, to the other alternatives that are about you, and maybe you can understand how Paul could say that those who are not Christians, their lives are characterized as being without hope. Uh, you just think of the different kinds of religions there are in this world, because after all, religion is supposed to be the opiate of the masses, according to Karl Marx. I mean, that's supposed to be where people go to get their hope, right? Well, if you look around you, most religions are not very hopeful. In fact, um, if you look at the Eastern religions of uh, pantheism, uh, where it is said that God is everything and our experience of uh, things in this world is really an illusion, you'll find that that's a very impersonal reality, very impersonal view of the universe. Uh, the pantheist has to admit that not only the good things in life that we enjoy are God, and we are part of it, but also the most wicked, horrible things in life are just as much divine, our God, and we are part of it. There's no hope in that outlook. That mystical experience of oneness with everything means oneness with the really downside of life and reality as well as the upside 
of life and reality. Uh, there are religions of, uh, of moralism, Confucianism, Buddhism, and so forth, which are depressing to people because they are unrelenting in their demand that you take care of your problems by living a certain way, which no one can live up to. You have religions of vain ritualism, just going through some kind of an act in hopes of getting in tune with the universal harmony or something, and uh, never having any assurance that what I am doing is really connected to pains and the distress of my life anyway. You think of the coldness of deism, that as a God that does not intervene in this world, that is removed from this world, that really bothered with your little petty problems, although they may be breaking your heart. And of course, the bleak view of the universe that's fostered by atheism. It would be a good exercise for all of you uh, to read uh, Bertrand Russell sometime, you know, and, and, and to understand the kind of outlook on life that a self-conscious atheist had. Uh, Russell was willing to say there is no reason to expect in the cold deadness of this universe any hope. There are those, of course, at the opposite end of the scale that are anything but self-conscious and, and honest about this universe. Uh, there's what I might call a candy-coated optimism out there as well, a mindless optimism that, oh, well, you know, everything's going to work out okay, and even though we have no reason to expect that there's any supernatural power or any control of my life or any purpose in anything, that we just have to kind of uh, just smile and go on, just kind of uh, hope that as we go through the reality that uh, uh, for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows somehow. Uh, we don't know why uh, we have any reason to believe that, but it makes us feel better. There's no hope in that. It doesn't last long. Um, many of those views of life become, I think, secularized versions of Christianity. And many of these views of life have a view of providence, as though there were a God whose hand controls all things and provides everything, and yet there is no such God. It's kind of like reality, or Mother Nature just kind of takes care of it, or you know, some kind of cosmic uh, uh, harmony, or karma maybe takes care of it. Uh, secularized versions of the Christian doctrine of providence. People who live on the borrowed capital of a Christian view of the world, and yet are not Christians, are not willing to bow to the triune God that gives us a basis for hope in this world. I want to add one more to the list before I go on. I don't think there's any comfort in Arminianism either. I really think only in the full-fledged truth of the Reformed faith, which is the Pauline faith, the apostolic faith, the biblical faith, only in that view of a sovereign God who controls all things can we find any hope. And when people tell us that God doesn't predestine all things and that he doesn't have a plan for everything and he doesn't mess with the free will of man and he doesn't intervene and so forth, well, you know, that may sound very dignifying to man, although in the end it isn't. It may sound like it is, but in the end, I think what it leaves you with is no hope at all. Or, you know, when, when some tragedy strikes you, you have to say, well, there's just kind of a, an, an absurdity to life, I guess, and there's nothing that can be done about it. And, and even God's hands are tied that he couldn't have uh, brought a good out of this. But, of course, in the Reformed faith, we believe that God plans all things, and for that very reason, even in our darkest, worst moments... If we can't feel it with our hearts, we do know the truth with our minds that God will bring good out of it. And so my point is that only Christianity can provide hope and comfort to us at times 
like um, I've described, times of and rejection and heartache and suffering and despair. And at a time like that, I want you to remember the privilege of prayer. We sang a hymn that I chose earlier in this week for our service, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um, now, when we sing our hymns, we're supposed to be exhorting one another and, and worshiping God. Uh, you know that from some lessons you've received recently. When you sang this hymn, did you instruct yourself? Did you think about instructing those in the congregation with you? What other religion of the world can say, what a friend we have in Jesus? Now, my point here is not that they don't have Jesus. My point here is, what other religion has anything like that that can speak of the supernatural in a friendly way? in an assured, confident way. What a friend we have in Jesus. And do you Christians appreciate this? All our sins and our griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. If that's a privilege, why don't we do it? Why aren't we more prayerful? Why don't we that I can bring this to your throne and leave it here and be comforted to know that you're in control of everything? Well, the writer of the hymn goes on, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? I think you know the answer to that. Is there trouble anywhere? You know the answer to that. We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a soul there. We need to know the precious promises of God that he did. This hymn writer knew something of that experience of relying upon God and trusting him and believing his promises of care. In the 91st Psalm, which we read in our scripture reading this morning, we read that even before uh, the appearance of Jesus Christ in history, David understood this line of the hymn, in his arms he'll take and shield thee. David knew what it was. Of course, his image was not so much of arms as it was as of a mother hen putting her wing over her chicks to protect them. Um, many of us cityfied people maybe don't uh, enjoy that metaphor uh, and, and appreciate it the way that we could. But I want you to think about that, what that means, that God himself, like a mother hen, overshadows us. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If we thought of ourselves as in the shadow of God's Almighty care, that would certainly strengthen our hearts and take away a lot of that trembling and that despair and hopelessness that we feel at times when we are down. We would know something of the divine friendship that our hymn spoke of, the comfort of prayer, that we can talk with God and that he knows our needs. And somehow amazingly, in the midst of controlling every detail of every molecule in the universe, cares for me. We know the promise of his intervention and of his comfort and his peace coming to us. Think of Abraham this morning, who was the father of the faithful, according to Paul in Romans, the fourth chapter. 
Paul there says that uh, we are to walk in the steps of that faith of our father, Abraham. And in Galatians 3, he reminds us that they that are of faith, the same are the sons of Abraham. And Paul says, look to your father, Abraham, to your spiritual father, as it were, and imitate his faith. Walk in his steps. And so this morning, as we think about the present God in times when we are down, Consider Abraham, who certainly must have thought it far too late to have a child, even though God had promised it. And yet, Paul says to us in Romans 4, He in hope believed against hope, according to that which had been spoken, looking to the promise of God. He wavered not through unbelief, but increased through faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Looking unto the promise of God and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform. Abraham considered the promise of God and the almighty power of God and that is what made him the father of faith. And we need to do the same, Paul says. We need to walk in his steps. And, of course, we're in a far more advantageous position than Abraham, aren't we? You stop and think about it. Redemptive history has now brought the realization of the redemption that was foreshadowed and prophesied in the Old Testament. We live in the days of the New Covenant based upon the revelation of God's living word. Jesus, the Son of God, has come into history. We live in the days of the New Testament. We have far more of divine revelation to rest upon than Abraham ever did. We are in a much better position than Abraham. And yet we look to him to remember that example of trusting the promises of God and his almighty power to perform them. And when we look at the Bible, now we can consider it in two ways. We can look at the Bible, we can look at God's word as a series of particular communications. That's really the mode that you hear usually in the preaching of this congregation. Because of expositional preaching being what uh, Pastor Tony and I usually do, you'll notice that we'll go to a text, we'll expound a particular text, or a particular book of the Bible or something. And that's Obviously, I think that's all right, because that's what we usually do. But you know, the Bible is not simply a series of particular communications. It is also a finished deposit of truth. That is to say, you can look at the Bible piece by piece, but you can also look at it as a whole. And we can ask ourselves, what is the whole Bible now? Is God's finished product and delivered to me? What does the whole Bible have to say to me about certain things? And that's the approach I'm taking today in that second sense of a finished deposit of truth. I want to simply give you a list of things to hang on to in times of grief, in times of pain, in times of despair in your life. You can list this as the precious promises of God. And I would suggest that you write out these things as a resource center for your spiritual strength when you're running low. And so if you're not accustomed to taking notes... Get a pen or a pencil out and uh, use your bulletin cover if you have to and make a list. And it's going to take you longer than this week, I assure you. But over this week in the following these passages of Scripture, look them up and write them out. And hold on to that list. Staple it together, keep it in a nice safe place. And when you need 
to trust the promises of God, when you need to be picked up from that despair that you're feeling or that hopelessness that comes over us, I want you to go and to consider these things. I'm going to give you eight sets of passages this morning having to do with God's promises. The first is that God is almighty. Abraham had to believe that. God told him something that to the world must have seemed absurd. He was going to have a child in old age. We need to know before we look at the promises of God that whatever he says, he is able to do. Job 42.2. Job says, I know that thou canst do everything. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, Paul says that he is able, that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's able even more than you think he can do. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus says, With God all things are possible. When I was uh, particularly low a few weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine said to me, you need to remember, Greg, that God is the God of lost causes. He can do all things. With what is impossible with men is possible with God. In Jeremiah 32:27, the prophet speaking for God says, Behold, I am Jehovah, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Isaiah, in 59th chapter, verse 1 of his prophecy says, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. And in Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, Paul prays that God will give believers a knowledge of, and listen to this, the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the, of that strength of his might which he brought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead. You want to know how powerful God is? Remember that Jesus was a lost cause once. He was dead, and God can raise the dead. And it's that great power that works for us. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So the first set of passages that I want you to get in your notes has to do with God being almighty. Having all power, nothing is too hard for him, nothing is impossible for him. The second set of passages that you should look up have to do with the promise that God gives strength to us and rescues us. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isaiah 40, verses 29 and 31, he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Paul said in Philippians 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in Psalm 121, which we sang earlier in our service, verses 3 and 8, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The psalmist in Psalm 112.4 said, Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Light in the darkness for the upright. 
And in Psalm 145, verses 14, 19, and 20, we are assured that the Lord upholds all that fall and raises up all those that are bowed down. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all them that love him. Psalm 119, 153. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. And in the well-known words of the shepherds, Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Do you have an experience of those still waters when your heart is low? Can you pray that and remember that and trust in that? Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one tried at all points, as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw boldness to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's a promise of God that you can come boldly into his presence, Most of us know the experience probably of having fathers that were busy at work and didn't want to be bothered from time to time, and they'd say, don't come running up now, but God says, you boldly come in any time that you need me. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, Paul promised us that there is no trial that's overtaken us that's not common to man. And he assures God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. There's a promise. God will never push us too far. But will with that temptation make a way of escape that you'll be able to endure it. 2 Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And in Hebrews 10 verse 23 we read, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, because he is faithful who promised. You know, if God had told us no more than what I've read to you this morning, there'd be a lifetime of joy available to us. Those promises alone, if you just read those day by day, and I'm not going to touch upon all in the scripture, and I've only touched about a quarter of those that I'm going to give you. That's what I want you to feel, is the promises of God are constant in the scriptures. He is there repeatedly assuring us, undergirding us, comforting us, I love this next set of promises that tell us that we do not suffer alone. Isaiah 63, 9 says, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. Remember that, friends, when you're going through tough times, that in your affliction God feels the affliction. He's afflicted with you. Isaiah 43, 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And why is that? How do you know that you will not be overwhelmed with grief and despair? Because God is going through the trial with you. Romans 8, 35 and 37. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God goes with us through all of our tough times. A fourth set of promises, and God comforts and cares for you. 
In our New Testament reading, we read this verse, which if you're going to memorize only one out of the whole set I give you today, maybe this is the one to choose. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I don't know about you, but when I get down and when things are really making me depressed, I begin to wonder whether God does care for me. And I start thinking, I've got to take care of these things my way and with my wisdom and my strength. And of course, that's probably how I got into my troubles. But I start thinking, that's what I have to do. Peter says, no, give your care to the Lord. You have to know that experience. And those of you who don't, I'm not sure how I can communicate it. But I'll bet there are a lot of you who will know what I'm getting at. That experience of simply saying, God, I can't carry this anymore. I've got to give it to you. I have nothing left but to give it to you. And the only reason I have the assurance that I can do that is because you said you care for me. And so here it is. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, we have one of the most uh, blessed descriptions of God in all the Bible. Paul says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our distresses. Boy, what a verse the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. It wouldn't be wrong for us to worship God because he's the God of all wisdom and full of holiness, mighty in his power. But I think there's something that appeals to our hearts and, and draws us to our knees even faster than those considerations when we remember that he's a God of all comfort and he cares for us. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes for God, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God comforts and he cares for us. A fifth set of passages that will reassure you in times when you're low is that God is forgiving and gracious. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 17, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Think about that image. God has poured so much mercy upon us that it's piled up higher than the heavens. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. 1 Kings 8.23 tells us, There is no God like you in heaven above or the earth beneath who keeps covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9, The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. Isaiah 55, 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous one his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon David says in Psalm 32:5, I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave me of my sin. John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Psalm 86, 5, which is a great psalm on prayer, You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all who call upon you. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul said about Christ, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. And in the 51st Psalm, David prayed, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Romans eight verses excuse me, Romans five, verses eight and ten, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more being reconciled to God shall we be saved through his life. Now the reason I have stressed this set of passages about the forgiveness of God towards sinners is that we who are sinners are so prone to think when we get down that God is dealing with my sins. God does chide us, but as you have read, he does not deal with us according to our iniquities. He doesn't mete out punishment as we truly deserve. God will not hold his anger forever, but rather draws us to himself and is a forgiving God, slow to anger, abundant in compassion and loving kindness toward us. And what Paul has said is, if God gave his own son while we were his enemies, then how much more will he give us all things? And therefore, this is the sixth set of promises for you to write down. Those who belong to God cannot be utterly defeated in troubles. Because God has gone so far as to forgive your sins and to give his son for your iniquities, then you can't ever be utterly defeated by your troubles. Proverbs 24.16 says, A righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. <clears throat> Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In Matthew 11.28, Jesus calls out, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Which brings me to a seventh set of promises about the confidence believers have, the steadfast confidence believers have in God. There's a biblical word for steadfast confidence, and unfortunately the English doesn't carry the same connotation as the biblical word, and that's the word hope. We use the word in the sense of I hope, I hope, I hope, that something happens, wishful thinking. <clears throat> the Bible uses it in the sense of a steadfast confidence that we have. And the Bible says we have that in God. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye who hope in the Lord. Or Psalm 43, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, and he is the health of thy countenance, and my God. Psalm 71, verses 5 and 14. Thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. I will hope continually, and will yet praise thee more and more. Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. And not only 
do we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we glory also in suffering. For suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope is never put to shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. In Romans 12, verse 12, Paul exhorts us to be rejoicing in hope, steadfast confidence. And in chapter 15, verse 13 of Romans, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope make you overflow, abound with hope because of the Holy Spirit in you. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul speaks of remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and persevering in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers have steadfast confidence. They have hope in God. And for that reason, this is the eighth set of promises, and with this we'll conclude this morning. Even long-standing anguish can and counter-blessing can replace it in the power of God. Long-standing anguish can be removed. You may think, how can I ever get rid of this pain? But God can take it away and put blessing in its place. Psalm 56.8 says, Put thou my tears into thy bottle. <clears throat> I've had a lot of those lately. And it is a comfort to me to know that not one of them has been shed in vain, that God cares for me. And my tears have been put metaphorically in his bottle. Psalm 90.15 says, Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen mercy. The Hebrew word, according to the days. Make us glad in proportion to, in the same measure, according to the count of those days that you have afflicted us. God can counterbalance that period of pain and anguish in your life, an even greater period of love and comfort. Indeed, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, For his anger endures but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for an evening, but joy comes in the morning. Jeremiah 31, verses 13 and 25. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. For I have satisfied every weary soul. I have replenished every sorrowful soul. God will turn our weeping into joy. God will comfort us in all of our distress. Now, sometimes we say that can't be true because in this life, there's not enough time left to deal with all the affliction and pain I've gone through. And some of us come to the end of our lives and some of the most painful things that have ever happened to us and have brought us low are never corrected. People see God doesn't keep his promises, but he does. Because, of course, in the Christian outlook, this life isn't the end of the story, is it? And our light affliction, which is for the moment, Paul says, works for us an eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 God comforts us in this life and he compensates all the pain for eternity. An eternal weight of glory will be ours. 
And thus Paul could say in Romans 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The day is coming when this life in all of its agony, in all of its pain, all of its loneliness and disappointment will seem like nothing. A drop in the bucket in God's ocean of glory and joy. And so what conclusion do we draw from these eight sets of promises? There are more, friends, but I'll keep you here all day if I keep reading. We the Bible as a deposit of truth and say, what does the Bible say to me when I'm low? What does the Bible say when I'm disappointed? What does the Bible say when I'm feeling lonely and hurting? Well, it says an awful lot, doesn't it? And I've given you a I want you to write out those verses. I want you to have them at your disposal. I want you to read them when you're feeling bad. They've helped me a lot when I've been feeling bad. The conclusion I draw from all this, and you know, I really could have just preached on one verse, but I thought maybe if I laid all this background out, that maybe I could come to this one verse, and you'd really feel its force. Now you understand believing in the sovereignty of God, how Paul can say with all of these promises and the almighty power of God behind him, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Earlier in the week, I had chosen a hymn of uh, response and faith for us to sing. And over the weekend, I had some things happen that uh, kind of uh, made me heartsick and, and depressed. And a friend of mine, a hymnal at Presbytery, with this hymn and said that I should read it. I want to close by reading it to you as well, because it's the hymn we're going to be singing. And I want you to do it very thoughtfully about the promises of God. Hymn 587, Like a River Glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase perfect yet it floweth fuller every day perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way stayed upon Jehovah hearts are fully blessed finding as he promised perfect peace and rest hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand never foe can follow never traitor stand not a surge of worry, oh, I wish that were true of me, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry touched the spirit there. Every joy or trial falleth from above, because we know all things work together for good. They come from the hand of God, dial by the Son of love. We may trust him fully, all for us to do. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. And they who trust him wholly find him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you our inadequacy this morning. We confess that we're a broken people. And that even when we enjoy times when things are going well and, and happiness, we know that in this life there are so many pitfalls, so many things that set us back. There are so many times when we are despairing and hopeless and hurt, when we feel alone or rejected or disappointed. We know what it is to hurt in this world, Father, and we know that often due to our sin, but one way or another we know what it is to feel pain. And it is a great comfort 
for us to know that you are a God who intervenes, and you are a God who comes close, and a God who suffers all of our afflictions with us and does not leave us alone. A God who is surrounding us with his care and bringing us under the shadow of his almighty love, even when we're unaware of it, even when we're not thinking of you. And a God who knows our concerns and our needs even before we ask. And so we come in prayer to you, asking us not only at this moment of worship, but in every moment of our lives hereafter, and especially in those moments of despair, that you'd make us mindful that you have promised, and you are able to perform what you promise, and that if we would keep our minds fully fixed upon you, that we would know the comfort and the peace which will begin now and spread out through all eternity and only grow deeper and deeper. Thank you for being the God of all comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's